I was on my guard from that first text mm -hmm. and there was a weird semicolon and so I thought they'll call me if there's an issue I'm not I'm not gonna touch this one mm -hmm. and then I get a call shortly after from my bank's phone number mm -hmm. and again because I was on my guard I put that number into Google and it came up as my bank's number and I knew it looked familiar as well so I picked up Mm -hmm. And the guy on the other line said, hi, this is Austin calling from Blank Bank, um, calling from the Fraud Detection and Prevention Department. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, can see on our end that a uh, account takeover has occurred where somebody has gotten into your account, created a profile on top of it, and um, is attempting to do you know, probably something pretty uh, malignant. So uh, have you fallen for any scams recently? Have you ever been the victim of a financial scam? If not, you're lucky, but they're coming, and they're coming after you in the form of text messages, emails, phone calls. Now, sometimes they're not really savvy scams, but sometimes they are very sophisticated, and the higher your net worth, the more likely they are to come after you. But doesn't mean if you are someone who is pulling in X thousand dollars per week, they don't want that. They want your money. And we're going to learn in this week's episode, we're going to sit down with Aliza, who was brave enough to tell her story. And then we're going to sit down with an expert, Mark Hershkowitz, who will talk to us about scams and what to be on the lookout for. So if you have a dollar in your pocket or a million dollars in your pocket, you have a big pair of pants. But without further ado, stay vigilant. Here's this week's episode. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. An interesting episode of Kosher Money. We've never done an episode on scams, and we're excited to have Aliza with us in studio. Welcome. Thank you. And I think scams is one of those is one of those things where it happens to a lot of people, but other people don't know, right? It's embarrassing. It's private. It's not something that's publicized. So I'm excited to hear your story and share your story. And thank you for telling your story. Sure. Yeah. So Happy take us, here. who are you? What do you do? And why are you here today? Okay. So my name is Aliza. Um, I am a first year uh, doctoral student. I'm doing my uh, degree in clinical psychology. So I'm working towards a doctorate in clinical psychology at Rutgers University. Um should I share how I know you here? Of course. Okay. So um, uh, as a kind of a side gig, I also work for um, a startup company. Um, and Ellie uh, works as well with me on the team um, from the media angle. So uh, I'm here because about a week and a half ago now, or two weeks ago now, I uh, lost the uh, basically the sum total of my savings account to a scammer. Um, and I'm hoping to share kind of how that went down. So let's take it from the beginning. Let's take it from the beginning. What what happened? Start from day one, and we'll sort of tell the story as we go. Okay. So how far back? Because there's a mini scam, and then there was the big scam, and I think they're connected. Okay. So you 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 guide us. This is your episode. Okay. Okay. So um, sometime in November, I uh, received a text. I was running between classes, and I got a text from USPS, seemingly, saying that uh, a package needed to be re-delivered, that delivery wasn't possible. Click the link. 
click the link. It took me to what looked like a USPS website, um, USPS dash or US dash PS, which I didn't notice at the time, um, put in my uh, address and then it had me put in my credit card for a $3 uh, redelivery fee. Put that in. And you didn't know what the package was for? No, but it was like holiday season. I was ordering all sorts of things. I figured uh, something hadn't been delivered appropriately. And it looked like a United State po- States Super Postal legit. Service. Right. Like okay. total, like you could click around other pages. It looked like the thing. Wow. So I put in my debit card and then I'm running between classes and I text my husband, did I just fall for a scam because it was hitting me? And he was like, you sure did. And so I called my bank. Mm. I don't know if I should share my bank. I guess I won't. But I called my bank um, and I said I just fell for a, a scam. And we closed down my debit card and they reissued me a new one. Uh, and I thought that was the end of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you did your due diligence after realizing. Fast. Right. Yeah. So why is there a scam? Yeah. So that was like truly a 10-minute thing. Okay. Um, and then cut to December 9th, I get it, which is a Friday. Or, yeah, December 9th, I get a text uh, from my bank seemingly saying that uh, a wire had been initiated. I don't recall if it's had to call the bank or whatever it was, but I was on my guard from that first text mm-hmm. and there was a weird semicolon. And so I thought they'll call me if there's an issue. I'm not I'm not going to touch this one. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call shortly after from my bank's phone number. Mm-hmm. And again, because I was on my guard, I put that number into Google and it came up as my bank's number and I knew it looked familiar as well. So I picked up Mm-hmm. And the guy on the other line said, hi, this is Austin calling from blank bank, um, calling from the fraud detection and prevention department. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, can see on our end that a uh, account takeover has occurred where somebody has gotten into your account, created a profile on top of it, and um, is attempting to do you know, probably something pretty uh, malignant. So... Uh, have you fallen for any scams recently? And I think he even listed off a UPS scam, a USPS scam. And I go, ah, USPS, I did. I fell for a scam recently. And then he said, yeah, we don't know how, you know, th- these guys are doing this, but it's it seems to be related to that first scam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like relieved that he called me and I was really grateful that he did. And for the next two and a half hours, he proceeded to supposedly go over what's called the, an account takeover process with mm-hmm. me. So he had me uh, confirm uh, and verify my identity immediately the same way that the bank did, which means he asked me for the last four of my social security number, um, my birth date, uh, and then two security questions, which looking back were not great. They're probably easy to find public record wise. Mm-hmm. But I gave them to him because it sounded just like my bank sounds when they mm-hmm. verify me. I didn't give any account information and I didn't give any login information. Um, and so then he was saying, he, he asked me if I uh, recognized this birth date. I, I didn't. Do you recognize the last four of this social security number? I didn't. And he goes, oh, that's Marcus Hamilton, who's a guy down in Houston, Texas. Uh, and, and we think he might be one of the, the scammers. And then he tells me that the scammers, and this is all done more artfully than than my retelling, right? Uh, it sounded really legit in the moment. Um, he, he states that Marcus Hamilton down in Houston, Texas, is attempting to wire $20,000 to himself from my account. And so I uh, say, well, you know, we got it. We obviously have to stop this. And he goes, yeah, that's why we're on the phone. You'll get an email momentarily from the bank. Um you know, kind of verifying that this wire transfer has been initiated. Uh, and so I'm waiting. 
And at this point, I believe that my account is locked down because I'm on the phone with the bank, right? Mm -hmm. And everything's fine. I just have to hang on and keep talking to him. I was cool as a cucumber, really not not worried at this point. Um, and then I get an email from my bank looking just like my bank's email, um, sh showing that a uh, wire transfer had been initiated again to a PNC bank down in Houston, Texas to a Marcus Hamilton. And, uh, and then subsequently, he says, I will get another email saying that that wire is flagged, which obviously we want that wire to be flagged because, um, you know, it's, it's suspicious. Um, and I get that email again from my bank. And it says to call the bank to verify, you know, that this uh, wire is, is fraudulent or not. And so we joke together, Austin and I, that I shouldn't call the bank because I'm already on the phone with the bank. Mm. And so, again, over the next couple of hours, it's a lot of um, waiting. Uh, he tells me that we're online um, with another department, um, and there's a queue of around eight uh, eight other victims who um, were moving up. He would say, you know, every, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, he would say, um, we're moving up from position seven, position six. And I was writing like a paper on cognitive behavioral therapy at the mm -hmm. time. So I was just chilling at my laptop buddy buddy with Austin who would mm -hmm. tell me when there was an update and I was really kind of thinking nothing of it because I could still log into my account I could see that that wire transfer had been flagged there was like a nice bright red exclamation point next to it and the money was still all there so that went on I can share more details sort of what yeah. he was saying yeah um so what else did he say so we were moving up the queue he at a, at a couple of points there would be a verification text that he would tell me to wait for. Um, and the verification text would come in from, from the bank. And then he would have me give him that number. Even though it says we will never ask for this number on the phone, I figured we're talking to the fraud department of the bank. Things run differently. He mm -hmm. needs these numbers. Um, again, shared no personal information and no account information at any point. Um, he would update me that the IT department was kicking off the suspicious IP addresses. Um, another distraction tactic looking back was, I think, or else something else was happening I don't know about, he had me um, confirm which devices I, I was logged in from. So uh, I told him it was just my MacBook and my iPhone. Um, and so he you know, was saying that the IT department is kicking off everyone else from everywhere else. Um, and then he also ver had me verify my Zelle payments. So he would go through my true Zelle transaction history and verify, do you know this person? Yes, that's my dad. Do you know this person? Yeah, that's you know whoever else I was sending money back and forth with. Because at this point, he had access, right? Once you gave him that four-digit code, I'm just thinking about the lo the logistics behind it. I know. It. He, he had to have, he was telling you which Zell contacts you were. So, yeah. right. So he had some sort of deeper access at this point. Or, and this is kind of a, a spoiler alert, potentially he was on the phone with the real bank, impersonating me to the real bank oh. and impersonating the bank to me. So if the bank asked, you know, you know, Joe Schmo, mm -hmm. uh, did you Zell him 60 bucks last Friday? He would ask me, do you know Joe Schmo and did you Zell him 60 bucks last Friday? Wow. And I would say, yeah. Wow. I think. I don't know. Right. So, but but again, that kind of, the, the Zell transaction history, the um, the calm with which he spoke, his, the verbiage he was using, it sounded really legitimate. Right. Um, it was confusing, but I was busy and I was distracted. And what do I know about fraud? So I'm like, that's chill. As long as I can see my money's there. And at one point he asked, do you want me to 
to hang up and call you back or, you know, when, when it's our turn on the queue or do you want to hang on the line? And I was like, Austin, you're not hanging up on me. Like right. I am not hanging up with the bank while all this is going down. Like this is fine. I've got five more pages to write. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, there was a lot of buy-in that was happening at the time. It, it just made enough sense that I was convinced this was real. And looking back, it made no sense at all and was a lot of just distraction tactics. And uh, I, I don't know how he had my Zelle right. transaction history. The codes wouldn't, I don't think, would have been enough for him to log into my bank account because I never shared my login, username, or password. Mm-hmm. And if he had that, potentially he wouldn't need... Like wouldn't have needed me on the phone anymore. Interesting. So where did the 20,000 number come from? Was that him just picking a number out of thin ear? Yeah. I don't know. Because, right, he could have done 100,000. He could have done 5,000. Right. How would he have known how much to uh, do this? And I guess we'll speak to the experts at some point in this episode and try to dig deeper on this. But, okay, so you're on the phone with Austin. You're moving up the queue. What happened next? So so there was the queue happening. There was the kicking off the IT ad- IP addresses happening. There was the Zelle transaction verification process happening. Um, and my money was still safe. Mm. And then it was getting closer to the end of the day on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, literally finished writing a whole paper on the phone with him. And so I said, Austin, I got to go. Is my money like, am I good to leave this, you know, for, for uh, the weekend potentially? He gave me a case number mm-hmm. and a uh and he told me the office hours this department's open till this this and we scheduled a time for him to call me back monday morning at 9 a.m and uh and then i hung up he sounded fluent english oh, accent yeah. no american american or yeah. seemingly so yeah or right. a really good ai right yeah and and again hung up liking the dude Mm-hmm. Like was like, whew, that they called me. What a great bank! Mm-hmm. Like my money is safe. The account is supposedly locked. Lock, what's the word? Locked down. Mm-hmm. He told me not to log in over the weekend. Um, he told me to delete the the te- the original text message. Um, again, re- retrospectively, weird stuff. But in the moment, I was like, we're fine. The money's there. I can see that bright exclamation point next to the wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the flag, um, and he'll call me back 9 a.m. Monday. So people immediately would say, oh, I wouldn't be fooled by this point because she she shared so many red flags. But you keep reiterating, and rightfully so, that he created this level of trust with you, and you were able to see on your end that you still had the money. And that it was flagged, and that the emails coming from the bank were legit. Right. And, and more than all of that, and I wish I had recorded him, you have to understand how how authentic he sounded. And I've spoken to the real guys now many, many times. I've spoken mm-hmm. to like the whole fraud department at this point. Um, there's a gamut of eloquence and like, you know, intelligence across the range of the, the real representatives and mm-hmm. certainly the customer service side of things. Mm-hmm. And so I I beat myself up that that whole, you know, the following weekend thinking like, this guy was an idiot like and I fell for it how mm-hmm. how did I not notice that nothing he was saying made enough sense mm-hmm. but the truth is having then spoken to enough of the real people some of them sounded dumber than him mm-hmm. some of them made less sense than him mm-hmm. some of them were less professional than him mm-hmm. others were far more right and and made more sense and took the time to explain things to me 
But truly, it's just a voice at the end of the line. And he verified me the same way my bank did. He came through the bank's number, right? If we're talking about like psychological buy-in, the moment I saw that, it was kind of halfway game over Mm because that's my bank's number. And you could tell yourself, well, I know that banks' numbers can be spoofed. I didn't at that time. I Mm -hmm. for sure thought that, yeah, maybe you could spoof a number from someone's caller ID. But how can you spoof like the government, like not the government, but how can you spoof a bank, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You would think there would be some sort of protection so that you can know when the bank is calling you. Wow. Wow. Okay. So... Did you log in over the weekend or you were like, Of course I did. You did. It's my money. (laughs) So you logged in even though Austin told you not to. Told me not to. And again, not forcefully. At no point was he forceful. He told me, he told me the office numbers. He was Mm -hmm. encouraging me to call back with questions, right? So Mm -hmm. not an aggressive approach at all. Right. Which is partly maybe why it works with so many people. Yeah. 9 a.m. rolls around. Oh, no. So more more unfolded between. So Saturday night. I logged in, could see my money was still there, could see the flag was still there. Um, we had hung up on Friday, probably between like three and four. We started talking around 12. So, um, and that's important on the back end of things. But um, log in, see my money still there Saturday evening around 6.30. And I'm not feeling good about it though. So I call, oh, sorry, can I back up yeah, again? Yeah, of course. Okay, just for the sake of the story. So Friday night, I'm eating dinner with my husband and we're just talking about how lucky I am that my money is safe and that this was caught right. soon, like quickly by the bank. And I tell Didi, I say to him, like, he's the real guy, Austin. Like, I know he is and I can see my money's still there. But how crazy would it be just if we're thinking about like moral injury and psychological trauma and manipulation, like how nuts would it be if I spent or, or if a person spent that long talking on the phone to, with somebody who was convincing them that there were fraudsters out there and this guy was the real guy and he wasn't. Like how how significantly disruptive to one's like belief in humanity would that be? Right. And we're like har har, like crazy. Like uh-huh. can you imagine? Fine. But like clearly on, on some like internal level, I wasn't. I wasn't feeling good with that comment. And then with the fact that I, uh, at 6.30 Saturday night, call the real bank and I don't press the number from, uh, hit, hit, like the one that he called uh, from on my uh, call history. I actually go into Google, I don't know why, and I call from Google, the real bank, right. and I get the bank and the bank uh, customer service agent's name I'm forgetting. But I basically tell her, hey, I've been on the phone with Austin from the fraud department for five hours yesterday and my money is safe. And he's told me that my account, you know, the account takeover process has begun and the account is locked down and the wire transfer is flagged but and the money is still safe. But what can I do in the meantime? Because I'm like, this is just we're just waiting here. And so she says that uh, if Austin said he was going to call you back at 9 a.m. on Monday, then you should just wait for him to call you back. And that she could see that that wire flag is flagged on her end too. And that if, uh, an investigation is open or whatever. And that um, in the meantime, I could, you know, freeze my credit with the three bureaus. And she tells me one of them. And I Google the other two and I go, okay, well, thank you. Hanging up, feeling better, thinking that she knows Austin. Like this is, this is legit clearly. Like the bank has verified um, that that they have whatever I'm seeing on their end too. And so I freeze my credit with the three bureaus, Experian, I don't remember the other two. Um, And that's Saturday night. 
And then Sunday, I'm feeling fine. Don't do anything about it. Can see the money is still there. Monday morning, 9 a.m., I don't get a call from Austin. So I uh, call the bank when I have a break at about 12. And I tell them again, I've been speaking to Austin all day on Friday, um, waiting for updates. He didn't call me when he was supposed to. Um, and they uh, and they tell me again to wait for Austin to call me back. And again, they can see the, f- the flag on their end. And again, the money is, is safe. Just keep waiting. And, uh, and then he calls me back, uh, again from the bank's number and, uh, he kind of, yeah, we just like waste time in a, in a sense, but, um, him telling me that, uh, I'll be getting, um, you know, another email shortly, uh, stating that my account, um, you know, about changing my account login and, and password. Um, at one point he gives me, a a new um, temporary password to try. It doesn't work. Um, and then I have to go back to class, again, thinking my stuff is all safe and we're all fine. And uh, I hang up and we scheduled for him to call me back at 4.30. Um, and then I'm in class and suddenly I get an email saying that the wire transfer has gone through successfully. And so I freak out. And I call the bank, the real bank, for the third time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tell them I've been on the phone with Austin for three days straight. This wire was not supposed to go through. He said my account was locked down. What is this email? And they're looking. They say, you know, we're trying to find the the wire, you know, history. We can see that there was a wire transfer initiated. We could see it was flagged. We could see we're not seeing anything from fraud. That doesn't mean it's not there. The same spiel as the, the first two times when I called them. And then... I can see an incoming call from, again, the bank's number. So I'm on the phone with the bank's number, and then I get an incoming call from the bank's number. And I tell the bank, oh, I think Austin's calling me back. And they say, oh, good, good, pick up. So I hang up with the real bank, and I again pick up the phone kind of for like the wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. And and it's Austin. And uh, we sit back. I sit back down, and I tell him what I'm seeing. And he's saying that's a that's an old email from Friday. The system's delayed. Um, you, you'll you'll be getting another email like truly any moment saying that that uh, wire transfer is you know it, it was neglect rejected and you know that your account is is continued to, continues to be locked down. And I'm refreshing, refreshing like crazy, and I don't see it. And again, at this point, strangely, I'm still calm. Like the money is still there and uh, I've been on the phone with the bank like three times in the past three days and continue to talk to Austin. And I'm appreciative that it's always him, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not being tossed around to someone else. Um, and I'm just waiting for that email to come through. And he says, I'm sending it again. Doesn't come through. I'm sending it again. Doesn't come through. Uh, and I'm logging into my bank account and suddenly I see that ref- like the, the trans, the uh, the ref- reflection of that money being gone mm-hmm. in my, dip, what's it called? I don't know. In your savings account? Yeah, in my savings account. Like meaning the. So you, you know, logged like into some... the actual bank. You you typed in yeah. your bank's name and. My what... login, username and password, which I had been doing the whole weekend. And the password was the same password. Never changed. Never changed. Okay. Never told him any either. So the money that you had in there, assuming it was how gone. much? 20. 20,000. Gone. So it's at zero? Close. Close to it. And you're yeah. still on the phone with Austin when you realize this? I'm still on the phone this? with Austin when I realize this. What What did you tell him? I go, Austin, 
all I'm seeing on my end are a series of emails from my bank pushing this wire along. And you've been telling me to wait for an email now showing that that wire transfer has been stopped and now the money is gone. And he goes, that's you, you shouldn't even be able to log in. That was locked down. Like, you, you know, just just keep waiting, keep refreshing like it's reflecting old stuff. I'm so sorry. We have, um, you know, an issue on our end that our emails are delayed mm-hmm. in, in, in being sent. Again, nonsensical hindsight is 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say, Austin, my friend, I'm freaking out right now. I'm going to hang up with you, call the real bank, and ask to speak to you. And if I get put through to you in two minutes, that's embarrassing for me. But I'm going to have to do that. Like, this isn't making sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I hang up with hang up with him, and uh, and I call the real bank, and I'm freaking – yeah, I just say, I, I need to talk to Austin from the fraud department right now. Um and they put me through to a guy named Randy. Mm-hmm. And I say, sup, Randy, can I speak to Austin? And they go there, he goes, there is no Austin here. Mm. And I, I'm still like, like what? There's no Austin here? Like maybe he's from another department. Previously, uh, one of the reps that I spoke to when I called the real bank said that they um, they don't see an Austin in fraud, but that doesn't mean he's not in a different department. And I think she was actually looking in other departments when he, he called me back. And by the way, when he called me back, and this was again... Um, when I, I saw that email saying the wire was successful, um, when he called me back, he made it seem like he knew I was on the phone with the other bank. So either I, with the real bank, so either I said to, to him, that's so funny that you're calling. I was just on the other line with the real bank or, and then he said, yeah, I know that's why I'm calling. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Or he started out with, I can see you're on the phone, you know, mm-hmm. w- with the, with the bank thought I'd give you a call. Um, so so disbelief like total shock what do you mean there's no austin and randy bless his heart is like not not a fuzzy guy and he was just like (laughs) i really don't like him but he was like yeah there's no there's no austin and we wouldn't have told you our our full names austin had said his last name was torres which again helped me believe he was a real person he was calm he was collected he shared his full name that's a you know connecting tool i guess um we would never have said our full name. People people can be crazy on LinkedIn, um, you know, and, and hunt you down. Who, Randy said that? Randy. Okay. Thanks, thanks, bro. <laughs> and then Randy says, did you give him, did you download anything? I'm like, no. Did you give him any login information? No. Did you call the bank ever? And I was like, three times. Well, what did they say? They sent me back to Austin is what they said. Mm-hmm. Did the bank ever, did we ever call you? And I go, yes, Randy, Austin. Austin was you. He called me. And I I really like you would think at this point there would have been like a sinking in my stomach of like, oh, I've been fooled. Mm-hmm. I I went numb, like felt nothing mm-hmm. was so I still really can't believe the the level of manipulation. And um, he was like a kind seeming guy austin right like he felt like a full person we we spent hours on the phone together i sound a little heartbroken because i think i think that this kind of uh this kind of scam at least in my case was almost intimate in nature right you're spending a lot of time 
um, not a lot of personal information or, you know, but, but there was banter. We were waiting. We were on a line. We were, mm-hmm. you know, checking in. He was grateful for my patience. I was grateful for his. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, he became a real person to me in some mm-hmm. sense. And I think to him too, it was a lot of calls back and forth between us. Um, he never was impatient. He wasn't angry at me at any point. Mm-hmm. And so it was really shocking to realize that the person that I had spoken to was performing, right? Was lying. And, and, and frankly, was attempting to, was pretending to help me while he was really hurting me, right? Like that's a really confusing thing to realize. Um, even though it wasn't in person, and, and thankfully it wasn't a violent crime in nature, it certainly felt personal. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the worst parts. At, at that point, I, what I mean to say is, uh, and it's a privilege that I can say this, that I knew thankfully that I would be able to continue to feed myself and my family and, and whatnot until that money was recovered, if it was recovered. So it was really a stab in the heart that mm-hmm. Austin, like he doesn't, he doesn't work for you guys. And then followed by like a wave of, oh, I'm so stupid. Mm. like i'm so dumb which right. my friends and family are gonna tell me that i shouldn't say that but it really like was no, like oh i'm so dumb I, I think people here were probably the uh, people listening were the victims of scams they don't even know it so that's mm-hmm. number one number two is people who think that this could not happen to them maybe this particular scam wouldn't happen to some people they would fall to another scam yeah and this is just one scam that's working in late 2022, early 2023. And in a year or two from now, in three months, it'll be a new scam. They are totally on to the next. Right? Like them telling you their full name. Oh, we never say our full name. So then you say, why are they even going by first names? They should be going by employee ID numbers, right? Hi, I'm Randy, employee ID 375. It's totally also. Like his name's not Randy, obviously, right, right. either. Then they'll figure out, you know, the scammers will figure out what their user ID numbers are. And they'll be like, hi, I'm Randy, user ID 753. You can call up. You know, like, they're very, very clever and sophisticated from the research that I've done. There are YouTube channels dedicated to um, exposing who these scammers are. They're run like a corporate company, right? Um, There are call centers in India that have corporate structure and you would think it's a it's a real company um, based on how they manage internally and in some ways they are a real company but their their motto is uh let's scam everyone and their profits are theft so you're on the phone with randy he's not the most fuzzy guy but he's telling you the honest truth of what he sees what what happened then so he says we will need to go through an account takeover process and i go randy that's what austin was doing with me how do i know that you're any more real than austin Mm -hmm. and so we set up a code word the code word was water bottle and because there was a water bottle in front of me and so that when i called the bank uh the bank would say what's the code word and i would say water bottle that is the only thing we could think of (laughs) okay (laughs) it's 2022 they have NFTs, crypto, all sorts of security, whatevers. And the best they can do is Aliza talking to some guy named Randy. By the way, out of everything you said, this is the least believable thing. Meaning Austin didn't even come up with a code word named water mm. bottle. Mm, yeah. But the actual, and you're sure Randy works for the bank? Yeah. 
because you called Google, right? And that's also something oh, else. I, I called the real bank th- three other times and spoke to the real bank who sent me back to to Austin. Yeah, but this time I had called. Right. The there are those account. that say you can't even look at Google for phone number because that can be somewhat manipulated, right? It's not too difficult to take over a Google My Business page. We see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, scammers trying to take over the page, hold it hostage. And that's why, um, at least at some point, credit card and debit card companies, banks were saying, only call the number on the back of the card. Mm. And then you'll be like, okay, maybe they shipped me a fake card with the, you know, whatever Which, it is. Which, by the way, has happened. Since really? I've, since I've heard stories like that, since I've been talking about this, since I blew the really? face. Yeah. Hopefully we'll find answers later on in the episode. So, okay, so water bottle, that's the code. Go on. Water bottle is the code. Um, and then he tells me that, you know, it's up to you if you want to go you start with this process now of account takeover. Again, same words that that Austin used, um, which would involve all he could say is giving you a new uh, new bank account. Right. Which sounds suspicious, by the way. Right. Like if, if you were just scammed out of your, your savings account and you, um, you know, and then the person's telling you that they need to, to make you a new bank account, like my mind goes to like, great, the remainder of that, like, I'm just going to trust you to like successfully make me a new bank account. Like that sounds, it sounded kind of silly. Right. Um, and so uh, he was suggesting that I uh, actually go to Best Buy first, though, and have my laptop and uh, phone scrubbed. And I'm like, this is fun kind of at this point. That's, that's pretty cool. And uh, also what? Like, have like again not knowing how this happened um confused just how uh, infiltrated my life and my devices were and 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 how ultimately as well just like how what would there be looking back i think randy thought that i uh, had fallen for social engineering which we could talk about but um which which usually involves a, a level of action on the victim's part so um putting in information downloading malware clicking on a link which i never did this time so it didn't really make sense for me to do looking back, but I was like, okay, cool. And so I'll call you back when I'm done with at Best Buy. So I drive over to Best Buy and I get my laptop uh, factory reset and my phone. The guy at Squ- at Geek Squad was like, there's no way to hack an iPhone like that. You're, you're fine. So I go home and call the bank back and say water bottle and get put through to Michael and then Tim who uh, walk me through the real account takeover process, which literally looks and sounds like what uh, uh, Austin did with me, minus the suspicious IP addresses and the which devices are you logged in from and give me these verification codes, mm-hmm. and uh, have a new account set up um, and hang up. And like my money is, it's the same, looks the same way as it did uh, previously. Um, they tell me that uh, I could start a dispute to dispute the the wire tr- transaction, um, I do that. Just give over basic information to another representative, and then it sounds like the timeline is that the receiving bank, which was a PNC, um, has ten days to uh, try and recover and return the funds. So think like this also didn't make sense to me. Like think about how it's almost as if the dollar bills had like my name written on them and this guy had stolen those dollar bills with my name written on them, given them to another bank. That bank has to give back the same dollar bills with my name on them, mm-hmm. which like I, why can't you just give me back any old dollar bills mm-hmm. with my name on them? Um, that's one, that one's for the expert. But um, 10 days to recover the exact wire and that you know, if you Google and go on Reddit, doesn't usually end well. 
Um, and then there would be 60 to 90 days um, for an investigation to be opened and completed on the bank's end, on my bank's end. And the investigation was like sketchy. Like, who's that for? Is that for me? Is that for the bank? Is that just to decide who's liable, it sounds like? Um, that's what it was for. But that's a really long time to wait. And again, lucky that I that I could continue to, to live in the meantime. Um, but I wasn't happy with that, with that timeline. And so that was Monday now, or yeah, Monday evening. And Tuesday, I call back asking for an update. Same thing, wire transfer has 10 days for the receiving bank to recall um, it, and then 60 to 90 days for an investigation. And uh, at this point, I'm talking to kind of friends and family and my husband, and it's, it's, I'm being encouraged to get angry, right, and to call the bank and to demand for my money back. What do you mean I have to wait 10 days for the wire? What do you mean I have to wait potentially 60 to 90 if the wire recall isn't successful? Um, And like, I just, I couldn't find that anger. And I was really angry with myself, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't really access the anger to direct it at the bank who, again, like I wasn't, I didn't realize that they could have done anything differently at that point. And it was still like a mush in my brain who was real and who was fake, which is Mm -hmm. trippy to think back on. in the interim, I f- file a police report. I file a police report because federal, the FDIC, which I don't remember what that stands for, but they suggested that I do that um, somehow so that I don't look like the perpetrator, which is unclear to me. But I think it, it helps legitimize my claim um, that this wasn't me just because presumably some folks will pretend to be defrauded. And then call the bank and say, where's my, you know, they go on a shopping spree and then they say this wasn't me. Interesting. So that helps. You um, went to the police station to file that report? They actually came to my apartment. So you called 911? You call the local police department. Oh, you call the precinct. Yeah, and they yeah. came. Who came? Like a detective? Officer. I don't know if I say the Matriana. And he or she was in full police garb or? Yeah. Like yeah. an actual officer? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so you file a report. File a report. The report is to is for the criminal side of things, so to get Austin. But uh, again, looking back, what do I have on Austin? I have a fake name. I have another fake name, Marcus Hamilton, out in Austin, which I don't think is a mistake. Austin and Austin. Um, I think it was sloppy, and um, and I have a bunch of legitimate emails from my bank saying that a wire had been initiated, flagged as it should have been, and then successfully you know successfully gone through so that was a joke right they're not the police officers like we're never going to find him but we were scratching our heads together over my you know living room table like how did this guy do this and that was when we the officer kind of figured out that potentially the fraudster initiate i didn't initiate the wire right obviously but that the fraudster was on the phone with me first Mm -hmm. then called the bank and initiated the wire while impersonating me to the bank, getting my verification information from me, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, ultimately putting the wire through while telling me that he was going to stop it. So it gets a little sketchy of like, well, I didn't put that wire through, but he put it through through me. Right. So Maybe that's why he has you on the phone for so long. Right. Right. Those 20 minutes, the cues is all him buying time. Yeah. And... We hung up after 3 p.m. on Friday. 3 p.m. on Friday, money stops moving in banks. 
which apparently you could find on Google, mm-hmm. that, that after 3 p.m. no wire transfers go through. Mm-hmm. So we were done. He let me go. I mean, I said I need to hang up now, but um, there was nothing. The money was, quote unquote, safe and also moving towards him. At this point, people are thinking plot twist. The officer in the apartment is Works Austin. Works for Austin. Yeah. He is Don't Austin. <laughs> you thought about that, right? Oh, my God. It's just I, I look around and I'm like, right, everyone right, is right. Austin. I'm Austin. Yeah. Hi, Austin. Um, Why'd so, you do me like this? We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, a message from Kolo Chabad, the longest lasting organization in Israel. And recently they've run into a bit of an issue because there's been an 8.2% increase in gas and electric across the country. So in the past, it might have been somewhat affordable for people, but now families in Israel are finding it too difficult to heat their frigid homes. So what is Kol Chabad doing? They're providing heaters, kerosene, and they're actually helping pay the poor people in Israel's utility bills. And if not for Kol Chabad, what would be happening is they'd be shivering, they'd be cold, they would not have what they would need when their cold illness starts becoming rampant, children miss school, and we need to keep them warm. So if you can dig into your pockets and help whatever you could, please do so. It really means a lot to the team at Chol Chabad, but it means a lot to the families in Israel that need it. So if you can supply blankets um, in the form of funds, that would be greatly appreciated. org slash kosher money. Give whatever you can. Thank you so much. Now back to this week's episode. So you filed a report. So I filed a report and yeah. my credit, three credit bureaus are frozen. And what did the police I, officer tell you? Like, what's the next steps? Um, that he'll write a report. And that's it. Uh, no, nobody's nobody's going to get caught. Did he tell you that he does this all day? Like he's going to homes and this happens all the time? No. Instead, he actually said that I'm really lucky that he got sent out or, or that a young person picked up the call at the, at the police station because um, if it was someone older, mm-hmm. they would have thought I was potentially like lying and that I must have given the fraudster again, social engineering tactics, like he must have manipulated me into believing that my mortgage was going to, you know, be gone, not that I have one, or that like whatever bad thing was going to happen if I don't initiate X, Y, or Z wire transfer or go buy Apple pay cards three towns over. Right. Is that your story? No, there are elder scams. Right. So so more of an elder scam uh, situation. So so he was saying that I'm, I'm lucky that somebody young who knows that this kind of thing has been happening picked up the phone and actually sent an officer out in the first place Mm -hmm. beyond that i think he was really intrigued and and it was if it wasn't so heartbreaking would have been funny the three like me my husband the officer scratching our heads like Mm -hmm. how did this happen does he work for the bank you know are you like being stalked right like how how did he get this all through without you actually doing anything or giving any really personal information didn't even give my full ssn Mm -hmm. so yeah, nice guy. He left. And then um, I I had asked for the banks. I don't think I had done this yet, but I think the next day talking to the real bank, I asked for uh, who their regulator was, mm-hmm. um, kind of like call, to call daddy on the bank a bit and, and complain. Um, I was told that's the FDIC. Um, it actually is not the FDIC. The FDIC is the uh, organization that insures the bank. 
It's not the one who regulates them. Um, but I filed a complaint with the FDIC. Oh, no. Sorry, that's the FTC. Filed a complaint with the FTC. I don't remember what that stands for either. Mm -hmm. Federal Trade Commission. That's right. Um, and then I also filed a complaint with IC3, which is the FBI. Um, and that was because due to it being a bank situation, it's federal regulation. It's like mm -hmm. their their department. So who's telling you to call? Who's telling you to call the FTC, the FBI? Who who's guiding you? Google. Google. Okay. Google Reddit. Um, wow. Friends of friends. Wow. So I file that. I also file uh, with social a complaint with Social Security because mm -hmm. this is probably identity theft at this point. Um, with all the information that he has. Certainly, if it wasn't before, it is now. Right. Um, I also schedule a meeting with Rutgers Legal Department and a really nice woman. Uh, they, they, can't, they can give legal advice, but they can't um, do anything yet. Uh, like really, you know, she's not an attorney or she can't be an attorney for me anyways. And so she was suggesting that I do what I kind of already did. Why? Um, why? I know you go to Rutgers, but what was the connection to go to Rutgers Legal? Just looking for advice? Yeah, looking for advice and then potentially looking to sue or to get my money back okay. somehow. You're going anywhere, um, anywhere you can. Anywhere I can. Right. Just totally, you know, up to my neck and in, in trying to like information and trying to figure out what to do. So... So she tells me to, to basically do what I've done. Um, and and then through all this, I don't remember how I first came across the information. But again, the FDIC regulates the, insures the bank. And then my particular bank is regulated by the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. and something out in Utah where the bank was founded. And so I call those two uh, numbers and I'm told that I can file a complaint with them against the bank, right, which which helps apply pressure. Mm -hmm. And then the question that I asked Rutgers Legal is, do I do that now or do I wait to see how the wire recall goes or if the bank just does the right thing or or what? And she was saying just, you know, kind of to wait a bit and then to um and then to file those complaints. Now, it actually sounds like the federal Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. There's an F in there. Somewhere. You probably have like a degree, Consumer financial a degree protection in all bureau. of this, given your this uh, point, back and forth. I feel like I should be. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they are like really who who you call when you need to call daddy on a bank mm -hmm. is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I had in my back pocket that I can I can call um them and, and file a complaint against my bank for mm -hmm. what had happened. And that seems to be in situations where an account takeover occurs, the only way that you might be able to get your money back. And so if you recall, I was really struggling to get angry at anybody other than myself, Austin included. I was just like, Austin, you broke my heart. And then, and then it was kind of starting to dawn on me that I did call the bank three times and got sent back to him. So like, mm -hmm. What could I have done differently? This I, I didn't. This wasn't social engineering. I didn't start the wire transfer. I wasn't convinced anything other than that the real bank was calling me, trying to stop a wire fraudulent wire transfer from, from going through. And the three times that I called the bank, I was informed of that same thing. So this isn't like my fault, and I shouldn't be waiting for recall money to hopefully come through. Which again, there's like no evidence of of that ever really ending happily. So. At this point, now we're on Tuesday, 
Tuesday, Wednesday of the following week. This went down Friday. The money was gone Monday, Tuesday. So I was angry <laughs> at this point. And so I started calling the bank and, you know, asking who their regulator is, you know, not not threatening that I was going to be filing any complaints. But um, instead, uh, you know, just they, they, they would representatives would pick up this is usually from the account takeover team who mm -hmm. i was starting to put together who was who who on and initially they would always say like well there's that 10-day thing that's got to happen we're trying everything we can we're on your team we're on your side like we want this to have a happy ending as much as you do and then i would say great but what happens if that money is not recovered after 10 days and then they go well that's like a little more complicated then it becomes a question of who's held liable and then that investigation can i speak to the investigators no the investigators call you if they have any questions, you can't, we can't even talk to them. So I say, well, I would like to potentially uh, get the files, right? So I can look through how this happened. Um, they tell me you would need the a, a police letterhead requesting that. And even then the investigation team rarely will give out a, a whole file. Um, but that was, again, another way of, of hopefully sounding like I was concerned enough to take action if necessary. But But the tactic on my end kind of became to start just, uh, you know, stating very clearly that something's not adding up. Like, mm -hmm. how did this happen? Please, can we go through the timeline? Because this doesn't make sense that this could be my fault mm -hmm. if I called the bank. And then they would go, wait, you called the bank? I'd be like, yeah, three times, one on Friday, one on Monday, one on Tuesday, um, or two on Monday. And so, uh, and at this point, it wasn't even clear to me, like, the timeline of when I had called mm -hmm. them, actually. But uh, eventually, I, I spoke to a gal named Rachel, who was really lovely, and uh, finally, you know, Rachel went through the timeline with me and my um, getting angry and confused worked in that she took interest and looked over the file with me on the phone. You know, she was trying to do the, the whole talking me down alleged thing too. But ultimately, when she came across the note um, from Saturday evening at 630, that call that I put through to the real bank, she got mad with me. And she was like, this note is asinine. Like I worked on the customer service end of things too. Like when I started here, I would never, ever have let this end here. Like this is crazy that that she told you to just, you know, freeze your three whatevers and didn't even bother to check if there was actually an investigation open on fraud's end. Like this is, this is crazy. Like there's no way you don't get your money back now. And I was like, oh, that's amazing news to hear. Um, and hung on the phone with her for an hour, which by the way, if anyone's thinking like a red flag would have been that Austin held on the phone with you for so long. Collectively, I was on the phone with real agents longer than I was with mm. Austin at this point, right? Mm -hmm. That's not an argument anymore. Mm -hmm. They, If they're good at their job, if they care, they'll hang on equally, if not longer than a fraudster will. Um, so yeah, where there's darkness, there is light. And Rachel went over uh, the files with me and I hung up feeling like there might be hope in potentially pinning this on the bank, but I didn't have it recorded. So the next day I called back and I did the same number, but this time playing record with less success. The person didn't take kind of personal interest, didn't quite see the, the, the negligence as clearly as Rachel had. But I was starting to accumulate that language of negligence of I called, the timeline was starting to come together. Um, and so I just hung up, called back later that day, spoke to another agent. Um, and over the following three days, P 
people started to care, I think, right? Um, and I started to, to get to know the whole account takeover team. There are two Rachels. There's a Melissa. There's a Tanika. There's Tanika was great, right? Um, Tanika was so great. Oh, also Rachel was like so upset by this bad note that she was going to take it to that person's supervisor. Mm. Which I was like, please do. That's great. And can you take the whole thing to your supervisor, right? Just trying to get it to move up. And then Tanika, two days later, was also really pissed. And this time I was recording and she read the all all three of the notes that were terrible. And some of the notes weren't even true. Like apparently 630 uh, on Friday uh, rep wrote that she told me to change my account username and password. She did not. She apparently wrote that she told me to um, get a new uh, debit card. She did not. I would have told her I don't even have a debit card open with you guys because mm. I was still spooked from that USPS scam. So, uh, so, so yeah, Tanika was like, this is, this is crazy. She was like, I don't know if I watched too much true crime, but this is making me feel like maybe Austin works for us. Like, mm. and there is a ring you should know. <laughs> she was like, there's a ring in the bank. Um, that's funny. So Tanika was lovely and Tanika was going to take the notes to her supervisor and she was going to report the three representatives now to their supervisors and then the whole thing to ask the supervisor ultimately one question, which is, how did this wire go through? Um, especially because at this point, Tanika and I had pieced together the fact that if um, the wire was initiated on Friday and then Monday morning at 10.30 a.m., supposedly I called the bank asking for an update on the wire. Had it gone through yet? Why had it not gone through yet? That wasn't me, obviously. That was Austin pretending to be me. But uh, unbeknownst to me, right, at at 11, I called the bank and I said, I don't want this wire to go through. So that means that it was Austin first calling on Monday morning and then me. And yet they still let the wire go through. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I called and Austin called and convinced them otherwise. I called after Austin and said, mm -hmm. don't let this go through. So at what point, let alone, you know, calling on Friday before any money was moved, and still got sent back to him and still nothing was flagged and still it was allowed to continue to pend, right? Like how how was it not stopped on Monday when I mm -hmm. called? Um, and so I was feeling more, more hopeful. Um, I had multiple people recorded on the line uh, when I called back, uh, you know, the following day asking for updates. Um, I could start to sense how finally lines were being connected and, and the bank's like on the bank's end that mm -hmm. multiple cases of mine that were open separately and which was why I kept having to repeat myself to all the representatives were starting to come together into one case. They weren't like, again, going to that place of, well, you must have given them some sort of information. And also, you know, if that wire recall doesn't go through, like it'll be a question for the investigation team whose fault this is. And so instead they were taking a far more apologetic stance. Um, again, reiterating that they want this to happy, have a happy ending, but kind of changing the the want bit to this will have a happy ending um but still if you google it and if you go on reddit like there aren't really usually happy endings to these kinds of things the bank have insurance has insurance right for this purpose they don't want to shell out and it wasn't a small amount of money it's not a huge amount of money in their eyes but it's not nothing so it was it was still hazy so people wonder did you actually get the money back i did how what, I don't what, know. <laughs> but who I gave don't... it to you? Who who sent so, you? So the bank. The bank. The bank gave it back. So I, uh, this is now Wednesday. So a week and almost two weeks after the, the initiation of that fraudulent wire transfer happened. So 
uh, I get a call from the account takeover team, the manager, Lauren, uh, my account manager anyways, and she um, tells me to look at my bank account. And so I log in and the money's back. And so I ask her, and again, mind you, this is less than 10 days, mm -hmm. business days anyways, from the wire recall, and certainly not 69 days, 60 to 90 days um, from the investigation's end. And so I ask her, can she tell if this was the wire recall or if it was the bank crediting me? And she goes, I don't know, but usually if it's a wire recall, we can see that in the notes. And I don't see that in the notes. Mm. So the bank credited me pretty much. We know I know that now, um, the full amount. And uh, I don't know if that was because the investigation just began and ended in my favor or... Um, or they found that Austin's cousin works at the right, bank. Or if, right, or if Austin's an internal guy. Right. Um, I don't know why. And then on Friday, oh, and then I ran, I ran to Chase or PNC or wherever I ran to and was like, take all my money. I'm never banking online again. Mm. This was an online bank, which is probably important to mention. Um, an incredible on online bank. Credible online bank. Very right. credible. Great APY. And they, uh, the fraudster Austin mentioned multiple times how if this was if we were brick and mortar we would just have you come in and take this take care yeah. of this in person i'm so sorry that you've got to hang online for so long that's right. just downside that, of an online bank right that was the question that i forgot to ask was were you think of just going to your corner bank and figuring this out but you couldn't there's no physical um structure there so looking back at all of this how what is aliza going to do differently or if someone came over to you for advice and said hey, based on your experience, I don't want this to happen to me or a similar scam or non-similar scam, right? Like what 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 advice do you have for them? Yeah, um, I guess it begs the question sort of like that we started with of can this happen to anyone and or do I think this could never happen to me again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the answer is somewhere in the middle that it could happen to anyone in the right moment and I was distracted, busy, writing a paper, whatever. And and then once there's a measure of buy-in that happens, it's really game over, psychologically speaking, sunk cost fallacy. Like once you've spent that much time, once you start to like the guy, once enough of it makes sense, like your brain can't dig itself out of that hole. It's just mm -hmm. we're human and that's one one infallibility of ours, one fallibility of ours. So uh, I don't know that I've come away feeling like this could never happen to me again because I've learned so much from this. Like you said, they're on to the next one already. Mm -hmm. I think what I did right was calling the bank. And if you're in, have an in-person bank, just hang up and go to the bank. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't call the bank and maybe record, I guess the big over like arching advice is be suspicious. Like mm -hmm. my instinct and anxiety got so mushed that I couldn't tell one from the other, right? Um, my intuition and anxiety were jumbled by, by the end of this. But Part of it was that I, I I didn't trust myself. I didn't believe in myself enough. I didn't know. And I thought I didn't know enough about fraud to just uh, you know, trust. And I think the answer is trust less and don't feel bad about it the way uh, maybe mostly women might feel bad about it. I don't know. Um, don't feel like you're being a jerk for for hanging up, calling back, for feeling suspicious, for for things not, you know, if things don't add up, don't tell yourself that you're not intelligent enough to understand that you should just trust. Trust less, right? right? It, can't, it can't hurt to trust less in this situation. Um, and call the bank. 
ultimately that didn't quite work for me immediately anyways. The bank sent me back to him. But I guess another piece of advice is if you find yourself this deep into such a scam would be to try and find a point of weakness on the bank's part and just keep drilling it home. Mm -hmm. Find a a piece, you know, an aspect of negligence. In my case, there was a lot and that ended up, you know, both causing this to happen and also causing me to get my money back and just keep calling and drilling it home. Um, Another piece of advice, my father always told me in these kinds of situations with customer service issues to keep calling until you get someone nice. And that always sounded like silly to me, like like they're going to do the right thing or they're not going to do the right thing. And what am I going to say? Like that they just care. But that's really what happened is that after a while I became a human to the bank and they became humans to me and the nice ones cared and brought it to their supervisors. And I think that was really important in this situation. Um, So yeah, I guess it just like it could happen to anyone in the right circumstance. So uh, don't feel ashamed if it does. And then also to try and not to get it to happen in the first place, hang up, call your bank, go to the bank, don't open texts, trust if the grammar doesn't look right, it's not the real thing. You don't need to apologize for USPS being human and mm-hmm. having weird grammar on their website. It's not their website likely. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's hard. I, I don't think there is, I think the same thing could happen to me again. Wow. I really do. I think certainly, maybe not this one, mm-hmm. but another one really could. And going back in time, like, what did I take away that was suspicious? Oh, there was no music, like when we were on hold. But in the moment I told myself, there's no music because it's the fraud department. Like mm-hmm. the fraud department doesn't need music. Like you just explain things away. Right. So there's no red flags really that I could give people other than to to trust less, to be a jerk and to, to call the bank or go to the bank. I think at the right time, um, being tough with them is, is critical. I think, mm-hmm. Part of the reason you got your money back is was because you were persistent. Where yeah. a lot of other people maybe would have given up or not been that meanie that you're describing. Where it takes that roughness to be to tell them that you're serious about this, right? Like that you're going to go ahead and tell their boss and their boss's boss, and yeah. they don't want to do that. And maybe you got the money back because they're usually dealing with millions of dollars and this is a little bit lower and it's not worth their time. Um, Hard to say, Um, but I'm excited to share this story with an expert who can maybe give some more insight into what possibly took place here and try to figure out not so much what the scams of today are, but how does one protect themselves? And I think you gave quite a few solid tips and what people should be on the lookout for. And at the very least, I'm hoping this story wakes people up, has them alert, has them asking questions, even if they don't know what the questions to ask are. But like, mm-hmm. don't just lay down and, and let them steamroll you and be conscious and, and intentional, you know, in how you deal with them and not just be reactive, but proactive, which I think is important. And we'll get We'll get to that a little bit later in this episode. But Aliza, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, my and pleasure. I think it's very brave, you know, because like we said in the beginning, people are embarrassed when this comes and everyone's thinking that would never happen to me until it does. So thank you for that. Anytime. Thank Hopefully you, never again, right? Also, never again. <laughs> Please, <Thanks. laughs> I'm done. Okay, a quick break from this week's episode on scams. Shmuel Shiowitz of Approved Funding 
you do a lot as it relates to finance. You know real estate very well, and you've seen a lot of scams in your day and age. I had a friend who received a letter from a credit card company. We thought it was fake, but it was actually real. Someone had gotten his information and applied for a credit card. Turns out it was a scam. We asked someone, uh, or I posted to my status, and I said, hey, we need help. What, what, what should he do? Someone has his information. And then you happened to be the one to reply, and you froze his credit. And there, I found out there are different agencies that monitor credit and things of that nature. So what exactly did you do? And what's your message to people as it relates to financial scams? So yeah, the particulars of your friend that reached out was that he had gotten a letter in the mail, which looked like it was kind of uh, not as real as most people would think. But he ch- it showed that he was being rejected and denied for credit that he never applied for. So most people would discard it. He went a step further and he went to actually check to see if he had any increase on his credit report. And in fact, there were some of them that were real. So in fact, this was definitely legitimate and the banks had done their job, at least one particular, had done their job to try to block it and not issue any credit under his name. So there's a couple of things that people should be doing. The first thing that we did was we froze his credit to make sure that anybody who was trying to do this again wouldn't be able to access his credit Uh, We did that through notifying the three credit agencies, the three credit bureaus. And then we were looking into making sure that no new credit was extended. And you could do that through certain uh, free credit, um, although there is something that everybody's entitled to a free credit report from the credit bureaus every single year. Um, So they should be doing that. Whether or not they're scammed, they definitely should be looking and reviewing their credit. And at the same time, Um, There are things that people should be doing in order to protect themselves to make sure that um, credit is not being or accounts are not being diverted to other places. So often people will try to either intercept somebody's mail and then try to forward mail, forward new accounts and then open up multiple accounts um, until they um, until it gets overextended and and the credit cards are not being paid. Um, Often enough, people are just trying to steal identity and then they go and they sell that. So you have to worry about and monitor your social security number. And then there are other scams where people can just try to apply for different things, not necessarily credit, but under somebody's name. And that could be anything from um, uh, accounts and and, uh, uh, buying goods under their names. So definitely something to be mindful about and watch out for. So it sounds like this is something that you have to be proactive about. This is, if you sense that something's up, you should act sooner rather than later. Don't just assume that because you received some letter and and the scammers didn't get to where they wanted to, um, they're going to keep trying and, and they're smart and savvy. And if, God forbid, you do find yourself in a position like that, I highly recommend you reach out to Shmuel Shiowitz, Approvedfunding.com slash Shmuel. He is your man for all things money. And now back to this week's episode. Okay, welcome to the second half of this episode. We're here with Mark Hershkowitz. Mark, you've been in the title game for a long time. Uh, Financial scams are not new. It's just what the scam of the day is, right? 
and we're bombarded everywhere. I got a text yesterday that I just bought a new Apple Mac. It wasn't very professional. I think if they put a little bit more time into the scam, it would work better. But you people are saying, oh, you just got an Amazon purchase. You got this. What comes to mind in your line of work? You've been at this for what, 20? Over 20 years. Over 20 years. So what comes to mind in the world of scams that you've seen, whether people fell prey to it or not, um, just to give people the idea of the severity of, of you know the big numbers here? So it's sometimes it's not a question even of having to fall for something. Sometimes it's just you know an out-and-out out fraud, right? It's a very, very low-tech. I had... Um, uh, someone actually duplicated my checks. They just printed up checks. They had my routing number, my, but it was a wow. totally different uh, font. Um, and they just, they started cashing them. So there's nothing that I could have done to prevent that. But I mean, technically I was the victim of a fraud. But the important thing is that if you're diligent about staying on top of your finances, it really could help out. I actually caught this fraud as it was going on. I do daily reconciliation, which is important. And if you're an individual, not a business, it probably takes you two seconds. Just log on. Anything I don't recognize, anything looking unfamiliar, log on to your credit card accounts, anything unfamiliar. And mm -hmm. that could potentially save you a big headache down the line. But I was doing a daily reconciliation, and I see like a withdrawal coming out of my escrow account. Mm -hmm. And that's a very weird thing. We don't ever make withdrawals. Everything's you know done by check or wire transfer. And I called up my look like a weird number it wasn't mm -hmm. a big number but it was a number i didn't call up the branch manager he says yeah some you someone um cashed the check that you issued to them i said okay fine that's why it looked weird it looked like a withdrawal because they were cashing a check he said i said do you have a check number he gives me a check number i said bill that's impossible i have that check still sitting here in my office so let me see if i can get an image of the check Get, gets me an image of the check, and it's not my check. A different font. It wasn't my signature, but they had my name, company name, address, routing number, account number, and there they were going around cashing checks. While I'm on the phone with him, someone walks into my office and said, Mark, we have a call from you from someone in a bank in Delaware. I was like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. Oh, he, he, he had told me that someone cashed his check in a branch in Delaware, in a TD branch in Delaware. Mm. I pick up the phone. The guy says, yeah, I have someone here trying to cash a check. And I told him, it's a fraud. If you TD, I think, usually keeps uh, an off-duty police officer in their branches. I'm like, if you can get the guy, get the guy, because I know it's a fraud. He did it somewhere else. He says, okay, let me see what happens. So they lost the guy because when he saw him making the call, he left. Mm. But I caught it, you know, a little diligence, and you catch things right away. It makes life easier. It's so scary because people, individuals, thinking, hey, I have a checkbook in my dining room cabinet. You know, I have help comes in, you know, a construction worker, a cleaning lady, uh, someone I don't know is in my house. It's as easy as just taking a, a check. You don't have to take a ton of checks. Testing that check, right? Uh, at a, I would imagine when you start, it's a small amount to see if... See what clears. Know, they don't right? know, yeah. But I'm not looking at every check that gets cashed. If it's, you know, $30, I'm like, okay, it must have been, right. you know, my wife gave it to the gardener, you know, right. and it's... Yeah. But they don't even have to go into your drawer and open up your checkbook. Mm. You hand out a check. All that information is there. Oh, wow. So the clerk in the store, right? Anyone you're sending to, maybe the, the person you're sending the money to, or, you know, we're going to assume are not. But any, you know, your check is anywhere. So all right. the information is there. So to make up a fake check is really, it's quite you know, wow. simple, you know? Wow. Especially today, you, yeah, you could just try, try to deposit it, you know? So then you would think, okay, so I'm just going to stay away from checks entirely. I'm not saying that is or is not the answer. But 
checks aside, you can fall into a credit card scam, right? If someone gets access to your credit card number, right? You give a credit card to someone at a store, if they have some sort of machine that copies down that information, you know, many times I'm like, oh, do you need my billing zip when it's remote? And they're like, no, no, we got it. All we need is the credit card and the, I'm like, do you need the expiration, the uh, security? They're like, no, 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 it's fine. It, it works. And right. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's scary. So with credit cards also, there's, to some extent, there's nothing you could do to prevent it. You give your credit card to the waitress in a restaurant, so you could take a quick picture. She has your number, even mm -hmm. if they don't have a machine where they're you know, duplicating mm -hmm. it, but they can get the information. So I think with most credit cards, you know, once you report something as fraud, they, you're, pretty much, you're pretty much safe. It's important to see right away. You don't want to let it go too long. And then you know, they're going to say, hey, you didn't let us know. And there's now 100 transactions instead of, you know, instead of one or two. Um, but yeah, if you look at your credit card statement, look, look, log in, you know, it's, it's really yeah. not that long and it could prevent you, it could prevent something like that. Um, but there's nothing to do to prevent someone from taking that number. You have to use the credit card. Well, if you're using a credit card, you're handing it to someone who's a stranger, right? you know, so you really don't know. But the important thing is to be diligent about, you know, reviewing your credit card bills, reviewing your bank accounts. And again, I, I do it daily. Um, and for my business, it's a, it's a bigger project. We have multiple bank accounts or escrow accounts. It could be hundreds of checks a day going in and out. Wow. But we do a daily reconciliation, see if there's something we don't recognize, just compare it to you know, our, our books and see if that's something that we wrote or not. I use a service called Tiller, which basically I upload all the information, my credit card information, and once a day in the morning, I'll get an email of all the charges that took place across, let's say, four credit cards. So this way I don't have to check manually. It comes oh, really? to okay. me. Um, it has other features, but yeah, I pay, I don't know, $100 a year and I'm able to get that information. And the many times I'm like, you know, maybe it's not a scam, but I'm like, oh, I'm still paying for service blank. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize, yeah, you yeah. know, the subscription type services. Right. Which are always a pain in the neck to cancel. Right. They right. don't make it easy. No, you cannot cancel the Wall Street Journal um, at night. It has to be like during business hours. And I think maybe the New York Times, you have to call them specifically and you can't do it on the you can't do it online um that that's a conversation for right. another day so you're dealing with a lot of money right um title companies it's a um, big responsibility I, I we have a lot of opm other people's money so oh. i take that as a big responsibility to, to safeguard it you know it's and it's a lot of money a lot of times so what what are you doing proactively to stay safe so again, we monitor the bank accounts daily, okay. but the, the, the risk that we have is that we're, we're sending a lot of wire transactions. So we're involved in, in real estate transactions, and a lot of times the lenders are, are having us, well, now it's most of the time, I'd say, um, they're having us fund the transactions. That means if it's a $50 million loan on a building that someone's buying, they're wiring me the money, and I'm dispersing the loan for the transaction, mm -hmm. if it's a purchase or a refinance. So there could be... It could be two or three wires that we have to send out. There could be 15 wires that we have to send out. And wire transactions probably, I, I think it's like probably the most common of these financial frauds today. Um, they could be risky. And I'll tell you in a minute what, we could, what you could do to prevent, you, prevent yourself from that. But if they're not going to target the average person for a wire fraud because most people are not sending wires. Um, if you want to ask me like who, who, who's the likely victim, I would say the vulnerable you know, the elderly, if they're not savvy enough and they get nervous, um, those people are, are at higher risk, but the payday is lower. Mm. And a company like mine, you're probably less likely to get me. But if you do, 
it will be for several million dollars, mm -hmm. tens of millions of dollars. So it, we have to be extremely careful. Um, and we are a target. We're definitely a target. So we don't send wires unless we, we verify all the information. Verifying means what, right? If, if you get an email that says, you know, call this phone number on the bottom, that phone number is also fake, right? right? I tell it to people all the time. And I've actually had this conversation with attorneys. Yeah. When we started, you know, funding a lot of the transactions, it was during COVID. A lot of attorneys were working from home. Mm -hmm. So I'm, on, I'm discussing something with an attorney and I'm like, I, I need a number to call to verify the wiring instructions. But if you call the office, there's no one picking up. You can't find someone in their accounting department. She's like, yeah, just call me at this number. And I'm like, no, no. If you're on that email chain, the whole point of verifying is I need to get the number that I'm calling to verify from an independent resource, from somewhere in my file that I already had pre-existing, or go to the website, go to the firm website, call the main number. But it was just impossible to go through. We closed a large transaction somewhere during COVID, mm -hmm. and they were like, 20 over 20 wires that had to go out on this mm. deal and it just took like a day to ver a full day uh, just to verify all the wiring instructions so we keep a record of every wire that we ever sent so if we ever have to wire to the same place again mm. we already have it verified interesting yeah and and going to the website again does not mean clicking on the website that is in the email because it takes about three hours to mimic a website and make it look exactly how you want. Yeah. With just one letter off, you yeah, know, an L absolutely. can look like a capital I. And before you know it, you're sending right. money. What what happens? And in Alisa's case, the money, she was, she was able to get it back because the bank was somewhat negligent. But in some cases... The, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. I don't think she got it back as right, much correct. as the bank correct. paid for it. Right, right, right. Um, that month, right. So to, to, to hit home that point, that money's gone. Right. If you if you are not careful, you are opening yourself up to saying goodbye to that money. If you send a wire and somehow you get conned and it goes to the wrong place, the likelihood of you ever seeing that money again is next to nothing. And with with the, the difference between this and a credit card scam is the credit card, if they get your number, the credit card companies cover it. If you don't verify the wiring instructions, you screwed up. The bank may not even cover you. There, you could hopefully have cyber insurance. There's a lot of different products out there to protect yourself, but they, they won't cover it. And there's almost no way you're getting the money back. These guys are good. The second the money comes in, it's out and it's overseas. I actually had one story that I recently heard with some colleagues of mine, very interesting. It was a, a real estate closing and um, the mortgage broker emailed the payoff letter to the title agent. Mm -hmm. I think the title agent was not funding the loan their underwriter was. The underwriter is more of a Fortune 500 company. They're a large company. So sometimes some lenders don't want title agents funding it. They want, they want to see the parent company, mm -hmm. the, the underwriter. And they email the payoff letter to the underwriter. Underwriter sends out wire. It was around 6 or $7 million. And the deal closes. And where's the payoff? We never got the payoff wire. The email was hacked. Mm. A friend of mine, he was a mortgage broker, still is a mortgage broker. His email was hacked and they changed the payoff letter. The title underwriter sent out the wire, but they thought that the title agent verified the wiring instructions. Title agent said, we're not sending out the wire. They thought the underwriter was going to verify the wiring instructions. Mm. Nobody verified the wiring instructions. It was $6 million. They got very, very lucky because the closing happened at the end of the day. So you know, the, the term down to the wire, this closing was down to the wire. The mm. wire just made it out. But when the money hit the, the account that it went into, 
it was too late for them to get it out. So, and somehow they realized it in time that night. They called the FBI and they got lucky because they couldn't get the money back out. I think they had it back by nine o'clock the next morning. But that was just a matter of a luck for one mm. second, because if it was one second earlier or a minute earlier and the Fed Reserve was still open and they were able to get that wire out. Do gone. companies have insurance for this type of thing? There, there is there is cyber insurance, but the, the best insurance is, is diligence and be careful. Right. And just call. Make sure you're smart about it. Don't call the number from the email. Don't call the number from the attachment in the email. Right. Verify independently the number. Um, and, and just just verify. Right. You I mean, when you're verify. establishing a relationship before the deal is, you know, when the deal is in its infancy, it almost makes sense to establish what are the only methods of confirmed communication, right? Like if we ever want to verify something, it's never going to be email or fax. It's going to be a, a phone call. You know, even with Zoom, you can now play with people's faces in a way that makes it look like them. So these scammers are always ahead of the game. And now you're talking about $6 million. If, if, they're, if they're just successful 1% or 0.01% of the time, that's enough of a payday to try this for 30 years. And they do it all the time. They, they do it all the time. There's their stories all the time. We, we get emails from our underwriters like before a holiday weekend. Yeah. Just, you know, hey, holiday weekend is high time for this because they know that the banks are going to be closed on Monday. So mm -hmm. they have like just an extra day to, you know, till someone notices it. Right. You know, it could be potentially an extra day. Um, and it's in our industry, it's we're real targets. I've, I've watched YouTube videos where they have these scammers out in India that are in legitimate buildings that make up multiple floors of the building with call centers and playbooks and an HR department, like fully fleshed a out. A real business. A real business. Really? Yeah. Okay. Real business. This is not necessarily someone in their mother's basement. This is sophisticated people that may not have the morals or clearly don't to not only create something you know they're, they're not they're not using this money because they're in a bind necessarily they're creating That's lifestyles business. and businesses yeah. around this so someone here goes to college goes this this and this there it's like okay i'm gonna come in you come in for an interview you know are you the right personality to be a scammer and it, it's sad to know that there are people i mean we're talking this in in businesses but all the time i'll get a text message from a friend and say hey does does this look right to you and even sometimes an email from Best Buy is done so well that, okay, I know I didn't purchase something, but maybe someone in my business or my wife or something. And it's hard for me as someone who considers him to be a little bit more tech savvy that as good as I am, there are people that are much better than me. And and, and they're good. They're really good. They, yeah. they, their websites look good. So again, if I give you any advice, yeah, don't ever click on the link from the email. If it's something from your bank or something, Go directly to the bank's website and log in, and uh, you're you're bet you're better off. Don't call even the number from the email if it's you're calling someone at Chase and they're telling you there's a fraud alert and you have to call. Just call the number that you know. Oh, um, card. I don't think that they can reroute your calls out. You know mm -hmm. they can still spoof you coming in. Right. They can hack your emails. That they can, emails are dangerous. Um, but you know if you call directly or if you're emailing someone directly or you're going to the website directly, unless they hack your computer and. You know, Redirect, which right. is, it's also pretty, I think it's pretty hard to do. 
um, you, you're, you're just saving yourself a lot of aggravation. You know, right. Take the extra step. Don't click on the link. Go, go directly to the website. Right. Um, and it, it'll, it'll be a big help for you and save you a lot of money potentially. Like you said, if, if, if you're a big target, maybe they'll go to further ends of the world to try to trick you. But if you're an, an everyday person and you do get that email, take out the debit card in your pocket and call the number on, on the, on the back, back of that. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right, right. That's your best bet. You mentioned before, you know, so-and-so calling the FBI, right? That's a $6 million purchase. Someone who, you know, may have been frauded $6,000, which may happen more often. Do you think it's realistic for them to, you know, pick up the phone, call 911? Like, are the police involved in this? When, when do you become big enough that you can actually, you know, speed dial the FBI? I, so I... I on the lower numbers, you know, the, the average typical citizen, you know, is going to get scammed. It's probably going to be for a few thousand dollars. Now, again, that few thousand dollars is a lot to them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm sure you take a police report. Will they investigate? I don't know. I never had anything to do with the criminal side of it, you know. But I know for myself, someone once uh, cashed a check of mine and I tried to fight them and, and I went to the police department. It really did nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't really know what their procedures are. But yeah, right. when you go in at six million dollars, it's technically bank fraud, and you know, it's not fraud against me; it's fraud against the lender also. Right. So there, there are a lot of other issues over there, and they're they're more likely to get involved, and they they did get involved in that case. I know that's that's some. I, I wasn't involved in that story; it didn't happen sure. to me. So I don't know what their procedure was or how it happened, but I remember seeing the guy the next morning, and he looked like a like a ghost. He was like, "Okay, you don't know what just happened to me." Uh-huh. Yeah, his email was hacked. Right. When we lived in Brooklyn, we were in an apartment. I came home one day and things were just thrown around the apartment. And I was like, that's weird. That's different. And then I called my wife. She's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Turns out someone broke into our apartment. And you know, maybe they took uh, $1,500 worth of items, 2500 I don't remember. So we went down to the precinct and we filed a report. And the detective kept making me feel as if I was filing a false claim or at least they she had her guard up to say really did this happen or is this something that you're you know imagining or is it possible you're making a mistake and I guess maybe people do file false claims and we never actually ended up finding the guy. I guess it's pretty hard. Yeah, they're, and they're not, not gonna, sending out they're their not squad investing for, resources. for your $1,500. Right. You know? right. They're getting um, their crack squad together. For, right. Yeah. So so in that sense, you know, I felt like I wasted my time, but I also did have a police report. I had something yes. that w- I felt was tangible that reflected my version of the event. Yeah, and when someone in your home, it makes you feel exposed. Oh, you, it, yeah, you the feel, next week or two. It's a creepy feeling. Yes, yeah. yes. I you never don't feel felt safe in your own correct. home. Yeah, it's a it, horrible feeling. Yeah. Yes. I, but the police report is important just for statistics in the neighborhood. You know, crime uh, goes up in the neighborhood. You know, a broken window in your car. Okay, yeah, they broke my window. I got to replace it. But it should be reported because right. it should reflect in... Right. You know, in the amount of patrols or if there's, you know, if there's a lot going on in the neighborhood, maybe that has some impact. So I believe in reporting all of these things. I would have forgotten to mention the vulnerability I felt. But yeah, you feel dirty. Feeling, it's like creepy. Yeah, because you're in a place that you associated with comfort and safety. And that night sleeping in the apartment, I'm like, OK, we didn't double lock the door. And that's how they got it. Now it's double lock. But that emotional fear is real and something I never felt before and you know i don't wish it upon anyone um 
but I think we take for granted the safety. So being proactive is important. Um, filing the, the right reports. And, and I do like how Aliza went through this story. Um, not She didn't give up, right? A lot of people would have given up where if you feel that you have a right to a claim or if someone was negligent in the process, don't just lay down and die. You could, you could potentially get that money back, especially um, if there's negligence. Do you see that the banks and other companies are continuously keeping up with the scammers in terms of protection? I think they try. They do the best they can. Again, they're, they're always thinking of something new. They're trying to be creative. Um, I think that they try because they, they don't want the headache either. They don't, want, they don't want to deal with me calling all the time and right. they don't want to deal with the liability. So right. they, they, they have to and I, I, they really try. I think that they try. But you know, at the end of the day, there's always going to be bad guys out there and you have to protect yourself. We talk about financial literacy in schools. And I think if we talk about financial literacy, we also have to talk about awareness, not just about what a credit card is, a debit card, and that's good. We also have to teach students and young adults that there are bad people out there. And you not can everything's a, a fairy tale. Right. Yeah. You, you can put in a career worth of work. And if you're not careful at the age of 64, that can get wiped out with no repercussion. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah, and you have to be careful. If I could stress that, and just be careful, you know. I right. mean, when it, most people watching this are not going to be sending wires every day, right. you know. But but even on a small level, look at your bank accounts. Don't click on the email, you know. I mean, just an extra step. I have a standing order in my office. If I send an email to someone uh -huh. in my office and I tell them, you know, wire this X dollars to these wiring instructions, and they do it, it's grounds for firing. If wow. I don't get your phone call first, Mark, was that you? They would be fired because wow. there, you know, there are stories like that. A friend of mine, um, his father was, they, I think, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. His treasurer or his bookkeeper gets an email from the president of the company. Why are two hundred fifty thousand dollars to these wire instructions? What do they do? They did it. This was a few years ago. This was right. before these scams were getting popular, mm -hmm. and the money went out, and it wasn't him. You know, they made up a fake email address, looked almost like his. They copied his, you know, auto signature or, you know, and it went out. So I, we implemented that rule. No wires go out, you know, just on the word of an email. You know, if I tell you wire money somewhere, it's not, you know, I know I'm your boss, but got to verify. WhatsApp is fine. Get my voice on the phone. Mm -hmm. I always select paper. Um, your statements. Statements, yeah. I always That's so old fashioned and I do the same thing. I don't yeah. know why I can't every time they try to, you know, put up on the screen, you know, uh, we've oh, we've enrolled you in paperless. Right. I'm like, no, 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 not correct. No. Yeah, I don't know why. I want to see the paper statement. I want to know that I'm getting it and I'm, you know, I don't miss an email and I right. miss a bill. Exactly. Um, yeah. I go with a pen. I take a pen and when the paper comes, I check off each one to make sure that I can confirm. Um, if I'm not sure, I'll ask my wife or someone in the business, say, Hey, what is this? I missed exactly. this. Um, but having that paper, like you said, you can miss an email. So you can miss a statement. It's one email, but it's 332 transactions. Right. And that's mm -hmm. all it takes to miss. I, uh, I'm a little bit, you know, obsessive about every transaction. I'll get a, an email, you know, or, you know, it's not too many, but, or a text message, or if it's um, a withdrawal, I'll get a, a text. You know, like, I like knowing in real time. I think it's good at the end of the month. But I think having the proper procedures in place and, 
you know, we can save all the trees for, for there's a ton of wasted mail right. we can work on. Exactly. That's not your statement. Yeah. The same should be paper. I like right. that also. Yeah. Right. Um, I also, I, I, I get alerts whenever my card is used without the physical card right. being there when it's keyed in. Um, and that's important also because, you know, if the card's in my pocket, you know, it's pretty safe. But if you know, anyone could put in that number right. and a scam artist usually wouldn't have my card, they would only have the number. Right. Um, so I get an email every time and, you know, if I see something wrong, I'll call and, and find out. And sometimes it's better just to dispute a transaction rather than say, wait, maybe I'll remember and let it go. Like dispute. You can always cancel the dispute and right. you know, they'll be fine. Right. Right. But if you don't recognize a transaction, definitely call right away and dispute it. I think also it's so important between spouses to have that communication where, hey, what's this? Like you should be asking, hey, what's this? More, you know, more often than most people are because... One out of 20 times, it may be something that either right. she forgot about and she should not be charged or he should not be charged, or it's actually not the person in that case. Yeah. Same thing with a business, right? Like having some sort of procedure, you saying you're doing this on the daily, obviously it's it's a lot more, but companies that aren't spending you know more than $5,000 a month on, on their credit card should have some procedure process in place that allows them to go through it and have communication on on items that have a lack of clarity what closing remarks anything to to reiterate to people that are listening to this and and if there's a scam we didn't talk about now i mean there's hundreds of scams right they 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 will change it based on where they see vulnerability so oh absolutely and you know some of them are just have been around for a long time and they won't change because they're, they're they'll target target vulnerable people um and one thing I'll say is if there's a sense of immediacy and like you must send money right away to this, maybe it's real, but it's not likely. You know, if the IRS is calling you, first of all, I don't think the IRS, I don't think you can even pay your taxes in uh, gift cards, you know, mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. you have to have a little common sense also. Right. Um, but if the IRS is calling you and, and there's a sense of immediacy, it should raise an eyebrow because they'll send you 100 letters first and the certified, you know, with the barcode on the front and I, you know, I get it for any stupid notice. So for sure, if I owe them money or right. something serious, you're going to get a lot of mail first. You know, they're not going to get a call from someone that says if you don't pay now. So right. uh, you have to watch out for that. Also, you know, they play with your emotions. I think something that's pretty popular is they'll call someone, you know, and, oh, your your grandson was in a car accident and, you know, we need money, right? Or he was arrested for something in a, and, and we need bail and you have to send mm-hmm. money right away. Anything right away, usually raise your eye, you know, raise your eyebrows and say, hey, wait a second. They know? have these scams that you mentioned, the gift card, where they tell you to go down to Walmart and buy $1,000 worth of gift cards and that's how you'll pay us back. And the people at Walmart and, and, and Best Buy are trained for this. And, they'll, and the scammers will tell you, when they ask you, you say, no, it has nothing to do with that because you need to get these gift cards and they should not stand in your way and, and you know, you should process it and hopefully some they, they they get foiled up and they say, don't hang up the phone. They keep you on the phone. You know, that's that's part of it and try to develop some sort of trust. Um, but it's it's good to ask questions um, both internally and if you ever get anything. So right. And before you make a rash decision and if you think that you may not be savvy enough, Call a friend. Call someone who may be better at mm. these things than, than you do before you make a decision that you know will impact you um, adversely, and you'll know, have a huge headache and be fighting with a bank. Right. Yeah. If someone has a follow up question here, what's the best email address to oh, hit you up? You could shoot me an email. It's Mark M A R C at ILS Title ILS Title dot com. Great. 
any questions for Mark, thoughts, feedback, your own stories, um, share it with us and be careful. Our YouTube comment section is flooded with people trying to scam other people. It's so Crypto, common today. You know, we, we do a very good job. Some of them sneak by and then someone will point it out to us. Oh, we have so-and-so. They're the great investor. Oh, who do you? And then they have like 60 likes, all 60 fake likes on the comment. And it bubbles up to really? the top. And, and you really have to stay on top of it because if you don't, you'll be the, uh, you'll be the uh, person appearing on this next episode telling people <laughs> what not to do. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen to a lot of people, but right. uh, they wouldn't be doing it if they weren't successful. Right. So the fact Which that there's so many scams and the fact that there's so, you know, so many people doing it means that they're, they must be having some success. Right. They, they wouldn't be doing it for if they weren't making money and having these businesses right. in, in, say, in India. Yeah. It's crazy. I didn't Across know the that. World. Yeah. But it was, I, I always imagined it would be like a guy in a basement, even if he's smart and savvy and he has language down right. and he make a good website copy. But I imagine that a guy in a basement, I never imagined an office building and a whole floor of people. Yeah, they have terms. And then they'll also get what they call mules, where they'll get somebody else in America to be part of the scam. And they'll look like a legitimate person. So when someone from America is calling you, you know, via FaceTime, they were tricked into acting in this role, but really they're part of an elaborate scam, which creates credibility. You know, they then get the money sent to the U.S., someone in the U.S., so you're like, okay, this is legitimate. And then that money, they get, they, they take a cut from it because they think it's a real job. And then they ship the rest of the money to India. So, wow. This yeah, guy, I, very I, I came here to teach you, but I'm learning yeah, now. Yeah. No, I, I watch some of these yeah. YouTube. Well, I'll put the YouTube channel in there. Um, but uh, yeah, you have to just be careful because some of the content could uh, be not for kids in the sense that there's language and whatnot. But these scammers are are ruthless, very ruthless. It, it's it, the truth is I don't even realize it anymore. But I, I get text messages all the time, right? right. A, a USPS package, right, or, or something like that. A delivery gone wrong. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, now when it's real, I almost don't believe it. And right. I delete it. You know, I, I got a, a text message. I think Amazon started sending text message your your drivers and route. Click here, oh. and I never click there. But and then I always checked, and I, I got an Amazon package. I was like, "Wow, that was real!" Right, you know, right, I right. Just, I delete them. There's right. so many spam text messages yeah. come in now. If you send a Zelle, it says, "Are you the victim of fraud?" Like you have to confirm that you read their pop up because so many people were getting tricked into, into the immediacy of it and sending small amounts of money, and they want to protect. And themselves. what are the banks doing? They're protecting themselves from liability right now. Right. Now they're not on the hook for it. Right, right. You know, if your credit card gets stolen, okay, they, I think they have to back it up, but. If you're stupid, not, or not not even stupid, but if you're, you know, if you get tricked and you're at fault and you don't verify that wiring instructions, it, it, think about it. Why is it, should the bank be responsible? Right. I know it's it's a lot easier to put the burden on them because they're they're huge and you know the average person does not you know have the financial ability to to absorb a, a mm -hmm. big loss. But the reality is, at the end of the day, if they're not responsible, they they're not going to pay you. So you have to be super careful. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming down, and uh, I'm sure we'll do other My episodes pleasure. on scams, and uh, looking forward to having you back. Thank you. Like, looking forward to being back. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Thank you to our sponsors, Approved Funding, and Kolel Chabad. We could not do this without these wonderful organizations, these companies. Thank you so much for supporting our sponsors. And for those wondering, how is Kol Chabad sponsoring you if they are a nonprofit and they are a charity? And it's a businessman in L.A. who believes passionately about the work Kol Chabad does. 
and he wants to spread the word. So he's told us he wants us to spread the word, and that's what we're doing. Thank you to our friends at Living Smarter Jewish, the OU's division, livingsmarterjewish.org. If you need a financial coach, a financial advisor, someone to help with budgeting, they have so many free resources. If you're a school and you need a curriculum for your school, or you are a parent of a child who goes to school, whether you homeschool or not, and you want a curriculum, look up our friends at livingsmarterjewish.org. They're there to help you. We are so happy with our latest collaboration with Mishpacha Magazine. If you want more about these episodes, more bonus content, more video, yes, more video with our guests, with the topic at hand, make sure you check out mishpacha.com or pick up a Mishpacha Magazine. You're going to see the Money Talks column in there, and we're excited about this collaboration. The extra content goes a long way in helping continue to educate you fine subscribers. If you are a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, please check us out on YouTube. We got more content there. My brother has so many podcasts. Uh, Spirit of the Song. He has a mental health podcast called That's an Issue. He has inspiration for the nation. He's also creating really cool custom videos that are not specifically a podcast. He shot a video at an Orthodox Jewish wedding, Levi Greenspan. Shout out to Levi. He did a really cool video with there and he has um, other extra content. So be sure to check that out. Subscribe, like, follow, comment, support us. Um, if you want to learn more about the other shows, head over to livinglechaim.com. We spoke about our sponsors. We spoke about our collaborations. We spoke about inspiration for the nation. And with that, I bid you farewell. Until next week, keep your money kosher. I'm out. Living L'chaim.